Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Sacramento Podcast Festival. Give yourselves a hand uh, for being here. It's the first annual. Please welcome to the stage, well, he's already on stage, uh, the Let's Not Meet Podcast. Hey, everyone. This story is called The Tooth Man. When I was about six years old in 2004, my mom started taking my sister and I to Dr. Daniel's pediatric dental office. The dental center was located inside a giant yellow mansion that also doubled as Dr. Daniel's house. It was a gorgeous place. When I first started going to the dentist, I was extremely shy and actually suffered from selective mutism, and I had a lot of autistic-like tendencies. Needless to say, I relied heavily on my mother's comfort and for someone to give me a voice, because it was extremely anxiety-inducing for me to talk to strangers, and especially men for some reason. When my sister and I got called into the waiting room, my mom followed us into the office until she was told by Dr. Daniels that parents were not allowed to be with their children as it taught kids independence. My mother complied. Once inside, Dr. Daniels immediately separated my sister and I, and in reaction, I cried because I felt so scared. Dr. Daniels did not like crying, so he grabbed me, and put his hand over my mouth and nose, shook me, and aggressively warned me that if I continued to cry and scare the other kids, that he would make my situation a lot worse. Obviously, this scared me even more so. I started crying again. Dr. Daniels had had enough, and he took me into the part of the mansion that also served as his house where he screamed at me again, grabbed me by the neck, and shoved me. His dental hygienist, Judy, came over and told me that if I continued to cry that she would spank me so hard, I wouldn't know what hit me. Afterwards, he gave me a juice concoction and then left me alone in his house for about five minutes until he took me back into the dental office where he did work on my teeth. I guessed I just instinctively knew that if I wanted to survive, I just had to act like I was not terrified and holding the tears. All I wanted was my mother. After the first appointment, my sister and I told my mom that we were scared of the dentist and that he was a mean man, but she just shook it off as me being an anxious child, so we continued to see him. Each visit was just as terrifying. Everything was just awful, and every time we pulled into the mansion, my heart just melted away inside of my chest. I was so scared. It was no longer a pretty mansion to look at. Every time we went to the dentist, Dr. Daniels, or the Tooth Man, as he called himself, would always make us have heavy dental procedures done. We had seals done on all kinds of baby teeth and plenty of teeth removed, some with his fingers, with no regard to pain level at all. Often, when having a tooth removed or seals done, your mouth had to be opened with a retractor. He would leave us there with the retractor on for about 45 minutes or so before he came in to work on our teeth. Sometimes, he would eat his lunch while I sat there with my mouth open. Probably one of the worst pains I've ever felt in my life. I remember one time when I was in third grade, and I had been leaned back in the chair, waiting with the retractor on for about an hour. I was in so much pain that I couldn't take it. I sat up on the chair and tried to scream and cry as loud as I could. Dr. Daniels came rushing over, angry as could be, took my retractor off, and took me back into his house, where he screamed at me for being a big baby and scaring all of the other kids. I was so mad at myself, because I hadn't cried in so long. 
He then took me back into his dental chair, pinned me down into the seat, and put a straitjacket on me. He put my retractors back on and said that I would have to wait longer because I caused such a scene. All I could do was shed silent tears and drool everywhere. I couldn't even wipe it up because my arms were locked. Afterwards, my mouth would become so swollen and filled with rashes that it hurt to talk for days. I would leave, it would leave bruises and swells as soon as I left his chair. He would often tell my mother I was a difficult patient, and if I so much as winced at his torture, he would make it worse. He once removed six teeth at once, and I could barely eat. While he ripped out the teeth, he would often sing songs. When I was in seventh grade, I got braces, and we started to see an orthodontist. Not long after that, we stopped seeing Dr. Dan and started seeing a new dentist who was actually nice. I had never known that getting your teeth cleaned didn't have to feel like going through a saw trap. I think my mom took us out of Dr. Dan's practice when the orthodontist looked at her dental records and saw a lot of unnecessary procedures being done on our mouths. Not long ago, I was having a conversation with a friend who brought up some childhood fears that instantly brought back the tooth man to my mind. Curious, I googled him to see what had happened to him, and to my happiness, the practice was shut down. Also left under his name was a Yelp page that had been left up. The page was filled with numerous one-star reviews and from former patients that were once abused as kids in his office, using the page as an outlet to express their trauma. I started to cry because their experiences were so close and some identical as to what I went through when I was a kid. I was so sad, but at the same time, it was really validating to know that I was not alone. A lot of the procedures that we went through were just a scam for him to collect money off of the patients and the parents' insurance. Now that I think about it, he probably was so adamant about us not crying and screaming for help because he didn't want the parents to hear and come in to see what was going on. I shake just thinking about things like this. I really pray that he hasn't opened up another practice somewhere. I know it's hard not to blame parents in this situation, but the truth is the man is a swift abuser, and for every bruise and swell that we would have, he would have dental explanations as to what was happening. He would make the parents feel stupid for believing us. To Dr. Dan, please let's never meet again, and to the parents reading this, if you are ever told not to go into an appointment, something is wrong. And I did pull up the Yelp page, and I just want to read a couple of the Yelp reviews. Uh, Abuses children. Do not let your kids anywhere near him. He needs to be put out of business for good. Do not go see this man. He's an awful person, an awful dentist, and a child-abusing pile of trash. He will hurt your children. Do not go here. Dr. Dan, as I remember him, was a nightmare as a child. He terrorized me and my brother in the Winchester Center growing up. We have memories of him spanking us, accosting us, and popping out nine teeth at a time with his thumbs. I recommend you steer far, far away from this man. You've been warned. This one is called The Cabin Man. It was late November in Colorado, and I was about seven or eight. My father had the idea of taking us all for a weekend to a cabin that he was going to rent. My mother thought that it was a great idea for me and my sister, my father, and her to bond. It was very cold when we got to the cabin, as this was the middle of December. 
Anyway, we set it up and decided where each of us would sleep. We ate dinner, and then we got set for bed, thinking about what we would do the next day. We got there kind of late, so we couldn't do much on the first day. That night, I heard noises outside. It sounded kind of like footsteps. I looked out the window and saw nothing, so I figured it must have been an animal. I tried to go back to sleep, then about 15 minutes later, I heard it again. I woke up my sister, and she heard it as well. She was 11 at the time. We both walked over to the window and saw something out there. We weren't quite sure what it was. We decided that it would be best for it not to see us, so we went back to sleep. We had a hard time sleeping that night. We woke up the next morning, and my mother was inside making breakfast while my father was outside. I asked my mom if I could go outside with my dad while my sister stayed inside and waited for my mother to finish breakfast. She said yes. I walked outside, and my father was talking to a man, a short, chubby man. He had a shaved head and was wearing a veteran's cap. He looked really nervous for some reason. He was sweating a lot, even though it was freezing cold outside. I walked over to them. My father looked at me and said, Oh, this is my son. And he told the man my name. The man looked at me and said, Nice to meet you, kid. My name is Patrick. And he smiled. I smiled and greeted him back. Now, it may have been rude at the time, and I was just a kid, but I asked him, You look kind of scared. Are you all right? He kind of coughed and replied with, Yeah, I'm fine. I just went through cell shock. I'm a veteran. And he said this as if I couldn't tell by the cap that he was wearing. He seemed normal back then. My father seemed to really like this guy, and I liked him too at first. He told my father that he had rented a cabin with his family and that they were really close to us, so he decided to introduce himself. My father invited him inside for breakfast. After we ate, I went outside to play with my father and Patrick. After a while, my mother called for my dad and he ran inside. I stayed outside with Patrick and played until I fell and scraped my knee and started crying. Patrick ran over to me and told me to come with him to his cabin. He had band-aids. I agreed and went with him. I wasn't a very smart kid. I walked with Patrick. We talked about what I liked doing, and I told him that I liked playing video games and stuff like that. And things got weird. He asked me my shoe size and how old I was. I didn't know what my shoe size was, but I told him my age. He just kind of chuckled and said something along the lines of, good to know. His cabin, however, was nowhere near ours. It was way back in the woods. It took about 20 to 25 minutes just to walk there. I was tired and there was no point of getting a band-aid anymore, but I still decided to keep going since we had walked so long. We arrived soon at his cabin. Now, as soon as I walked in, I realized something. There was nobody in there, no family. And I asked him where his family was, and he didn't answer, pretending like he maybe didn't hear me. He locked the door. This frightened me. He told me, I'll be right back with the Band-Aid, kiddo. He walked into the kitchen, grabbed one, and then walked back and told me to have a seat, and that he'd put it on. I sat down as he applied the Band-Aid. He held my leg with his other hand and rubbed it up and down and told me, You're rather muscular. I like that. This scared me, and I immediately stood up. He asked me what was wrong, and I told him nothing, and that my leg was feeling much better. 
I then said that my parents must be worried sick about me and that I should hurry back. He insisted that I stay a little longer and ate there. I didn't want to, but I was alone, and if I ran back, I don't think that I could find my way to the cabin. The door was locked, too, so I just agreed and decided to eat with him and get it over with quick. He asked how much I weighed, and I guessed around 73 pounds. A smile appeared across his face. He nodded and said, Perfect weight. I asked him perfect weight for what? And he just kept smiling. I was really weirded out by this, and I asked him if I could go. He told me no, and that things were just getting started, and that I shouldn't miss out on all of the fun. He had such a weird tone when he said that. I then heard a big bang come from the bedroom. It was from a closed door. Patrick stood up and looked very angry. He walked into the room and shut the door behind him. I then heard him yelling, Did I fucking tell you to move? No, stay the fuck where you are. I have fucking company. He then walked out with a smile on his face and shut the door slowly. Sorry about that. It was just my wife. She's really sick, and she's not allowed to be near visitors today. He said it with an unsettling smile. I really wanted to go. I then looked around the room and noticed that there were clothes everywhere, and the house was really messy. He must have been living out of there. At that moment, his wife came out of the room. I'm hungry, she said. He looked pissed. He told her to get back into the room. His wife was extremely pale and looked like she had been crying. She was sniffing and had red circles around her eyes. She looked at me and then walked back into the room. I asked him where his kids were. He didn't answer. He told me he had some kids' clothes that he wanted me to try on. That was the last straw. I had to get out of this situation. I didn't know how. I started crying, and then he hugged me. He told me, it'll be okay, little one. Nothing is going to happen. Just try these clothes on. He walked back into the room, and I thought that this was the perfect time for me to leave. I unlocked the door and tried to leave as quietly as I could. I didn't care if I got lost anymore. I didn't want to take any more chances with Patrick, if that really was his name. I had the feeling that he had been lying. He lied about having kids, so who knows what else. I was in the woods trying to find my way back. I was still close to his house, close enough to hear shouting. I heard him yelling stuff to his wife, things along the lines of, Where the fuck did he go? I knew I shouldn't have let him alone. You probably let him leave. I could have sworn I heard him call, him, call her a whore and a bitch. Then it happened. I stopped in my tracks because I heard footsteps. I went and hid behind a tree and looked in his direction. He was outside and he seemed to be looking for me. I was far enough away to where I could barely see him, but I could tell he was looking for something. He then stepped out into the forest and I heard him shouting, Hey kid, it's okay. You can come back now. You don't have to try on the clothes. I have toys in my cabin. All you have to do is come back. I then ran. I ran as fast as I could in a straight line in hopes to find somebody in my family. I thought I heard shouting, but I didn't stop to listen. Then, after about an hour of running, I saw my cabin. I ran into it. My father, he was already outside looking for me. He came inside, and I ran up to him crying, and I told him that Patrick wasn't a good guy and that he was really weird and was touching my legs and things like that. 
My father immediately called the person he rented the cabin from who said that nobody had rented that cabin. My father looked at me and told me to never follow a stranger again. We immediately left that day and asked for a refund for the next. The guy renting them out apologized. The person that rented that cabin uh, to us called the police, and the police went back there and checked the cabin, but there was nobody there, not even his wife. His clothes and belongings were still there. However, nothing became of the investigation. They asked us some questions and left. They never called us or told us anything about him ever again. Patrick was most likely not his real name, and he probably was not a veteran. I just want to know what happened to him and his wife and how he even got a wife in the first place. Also, how and why did he live in that cabin? He seemed to have lived there for a while. I guess he left because he figured the police would be coming after him because he didn't rent it. So many questions that will never be answered. I'm just glad that it's all over, and I hope that I never have to see the cabin man again. This next story is called Designer Baby. A few years back, I was living in South Florida at the age of 22. I was a rather wild young lady, and it wasn't unusual for me to spend every night at some VIP event until I partied myself to exhaustion. No, I wasn't some privileged girl living off of daddy's money. Normally, people would just ask me into the VIP because they thought I was cute. At the time, I was very naive, and I thought it was because they thought I was cool or they wanted to get to know me, but that was never the story. One night, a power couple invited me to their private VIP lounge, which was outdoors. We actually talked a bit and got to know each other. The woman told me that she was a lawyer and her husband was a surgeon. He said that he had traveled all over the world giving speeches to world-renowned surgeons about how to use laser robots for surgery. The woman was about 33, and the man was much older, but still looked very well-kempt. She had obvious fake tits, and a pretty heart-shaped face with dimples and straight teeth. I immediately felt like I wanted to get to know these people more, so when they asked me to their yacht for an after-party, I was ecstatic, and I agreed. I had been on a yacht for multiple after-parties with random strangers, and nothing ever went wrong, so I figured, what the hell. I invited my girlfriend along, who ended up going home with some dude that she had been seeing off and on, so I ended up going alone. There were a few seemingly drunk men and women my age that were going, so I didn't feel weird about going alone. The night was perfect, a little breeze but not humid. It was around 2 a.m. when we left the club and we all piled into this guy's Range Rover. After about 10 minutes, the older gentleman turns around and tells me that things have changed. We're going to his home in Boca Raton because there were too many people that wanted to party and we had missed the curfew for docking the boat or something like that. I sheepishly agreed. What's the worst that could happen in Boca? We drove up to this magnificent two-story home that had floor-to-ceiling windows and was very well landscaped. It was very gorgeous. I had never seen anything like it. We hopped out of the truck, and I follow everyone to what was referred to as the game room. And there were tons of people already there. Everyone decided that they wanted to get into the hot tub and started chanting. I said, 
I don't have a swimsuit. The heart-shaped face woman jokingly said, just go naked, to which I laughed, and she replied, no, seriously, take off your clothes. I just kind of stood there, unsure of what to think, as everyone else bustled out of the room and over to the outdoor bar and kitchenette area to get some drinks. Was she kidding? She must be. Only the woman and I remained. She stared at me for a couple of seconds as if to test me. She then broke the awkwardness with, If you're shy, I do have some extra swimwear in these drawers. She nodded her head over to these drawers that were built into the wall opposite of the entrance. But please keep your high heels on. I'm going to get some champagne, and there are robes in that closet. She turned and went out to the bar area, and I just kind of stood there, confused and awestruck. I wasn't sure if she was hitting on me or not. I followed her to tell her that I was going to call a cab, but I walked into quite the scene. There were people taking shots and getting into swimsuits and stripping down to just their underwear. I decided to stay just for a few drinks and then head out. What could it hurt? Plus, the hot tub sounded pretty nice. Maybe I was just overreacting about earlier. I opened the last ravaged swimsuit drawer and found a black bikini that was a little small for my size, but the biggest one in there. I'm very tall, and since I have very large breasts, it was very uncomfortable wearing it, so I grabbed a silk robe and put it on. I didn't want to lose my shoes or walk over to the hot tub barefoot, so I ended up walking out there with my heels on, as she asked. The heart-shaped-faced woman graciously but loudly welcomed me to the party and begged for me to join them in the hot tub. Holding up a glass of champagne, she is making things a little weird for me, but I'm already there, so I take off my heels and get in. She was watching me the entire time that I took off my heels, and it was kind of off-putting. When I settled in, everyone left the jacuzzi. I was left with the older man and this weird fucking woman. A few people went for a swim in the pool next to us. The heart-shaped-faced woman started talking about how relaxed she was and uh, how great it was to be alive on a night like tonight, blah, blah, blah. I agreed, because this was pretty much the sanest thing that she had said by far since we arrived, so I relaxed a little and tried to enjoy the jets. I closed my eyes for maybe ten seconds before I felt my bikini-top strings being pulled on. I frantically opened my eyes and grabbed at my chest, And the woman, caught in the act, just laughed hysterically and said, whoops, while her husband joined in. I put my arms around my breasts to ensure that I was covered up enough, but then I got in the woman's face and asked her what her fucking problem was. Once you kill my vibe, I turned into a completely different person. I decided enough was enough. I was done being polite. She stopped laughing and told me that she had something to ask of me that her husband and herself find me quite attractive and asked me to partake in a threesome. I screamed, Oh my God, are you fucking kidding me? Which made a few of the stragglers look over and concerned. She asked me to lower my voice and calmly said that they would pay me for it. I tell them, Hell no, and I get up to leave after fixing my already too small top. She grabbed my bottoms when I passed, which ripped them off and made me sit back down in the jacuzzi. She was holding on to them and told me, whoops, looks like you'll have to sit back down and stay there. The husband point-blankly looks at me and says, rather matter-of-factly, that he wanted for me to carry his child to full term. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I looked at the woman and looked at the man in his eyes and asked him, are you crazy? To which he replied, isn't everyone? 
The woman giggled at his cleverness, and I felt my heart drop in my guts. I felt so uncontrollable. The man throws out a number. $10,000. I gasped. Higher? $100,000? What the hell? How? I demand from the lady. How do you allow this to happen? It's just, I don't get it. The heart-shaped face woman said, We want you to have our child. We want to give this child everything, and I mean everything. He loves me for me, and I know I'm very desirable and attractive, but he says that you are the one to bear our child because you're taller than I am. We want to make love to you so that you can gift us with the precious child. Your amazing height and his charming wit. Of course, our child will be raised by us, but born by you. With all of our wealth, we will never ask you to take care of this child whatsoever. One more thing, dear. People like us do not take no for an answer. I stammered. I need to go to the restroom. I snatched my bottoms from her. I put them on. I got my heels, my robe, and walked briskly into the game room where I hurriedly gathered my shit, put some guy's socks on, and got the hell out of there. I ran down this nice community's road for about 20 minutes before seeing headlights behind me. In a panic, I ran to the closest car, which was an Escalade SUV parked on the side of the road. I hid behind the SUV's back tire and threw my belongings into a nearby massive shrub when suddenly a bright light like a flashlight shines on the bush that I just threw my shit into. I hear the familiar woman's voice say, maybe it's just a cat or something, keep moving. To this day, I can still smell the dirt and tar from the tire as I clenched onto it for dear life, remembering, thinking to myself, you are one with the tire. You are one with the tire, for God's sake, be fucking one with the tire. Please don't let them find me, as I tried to control my heavy breathing. The lights drove up and then back down the road a few times before another pair of headlights joined in. I decided to slide underneath the SUV from the back and crouch inside of the truck's axle with my upper body twisted in an awkward position and my legs shaking from holding myself up like that. I remember crying out of pure exhaustion and pain as I hid between the the truck's massive wheels. I don't know how long I stayed like that, but my body gave up on me and I crashed down. I was too numb to really feel the impact of the fall, but I laid there for what felt like an eternity. I thought about how stupid I was and how sorry I was for being so stupid. I finally got out from under the truck, rushed over to the bushes and scrounged my stuff together, then started running. I hit the main road and went down to the first place that I saw where I noticed the Range Rover in a parking lot nearby. I hopped a fence and landed in someone's huge backyard and waited. I waited so long that I fell asleep. I woke up as the sun was rising at about 5 or 6 a.m., I dragged myself back over the fence and walked to a gas station. Amazingly enough, there was a taxi cab parked in the parking lot of the gas station, and I could see the driver inside getting coffee. I was so relieved. The driver came outside, dropped his coffee in astonishment at my condition, and he asked me what I was doing in the middle of nowhere in a swimsuit at this hour. I asked him to please give me a ride home. He asked me if I wanted to go to the hospital, to which I declined. I begged him once more to take me to my home. He did. I never saw the couple again, and I moved out of the area a few months later. The end.
right. Thanks, guys, for coming. I know this has been a lot different than the rest of the podcast during uh, this podcast festival. I don't have a co-host. I don't have any witty banter. Um, This isn't a funny, fun show, but uh, I do appreciate you coming. Um, I have one more story for you. It's called Violent Hill. Around two years ago, I finally moved into a brand new house in a brand new building estate in Australia. I was one of the first to have a finished build in the area, and I was elated to finally gain independence. The first few weeks went by as normal, and during that time I'd often take walks alone with my dog in the afternoons and roam the surrounding estate area. All the roads around us had been partially completed and all the other properties were marked out, but no other houses were built excluding the one directly across from mine. The house looked finished, but there was no driveway laid yet, and from what I could gather, no one lived there. To the left of my house, roughly a few hundred meters away, was a field with a huge hill on it. I later found out that the whole area was council property. Not only was no one allowed to build on that hill, but the hill was basically a complete no-go zone. For whatever reason, the county just decided that they didn't want people in that area, so it was surrounded by a huge chain-link fence. The only other noticeable feature in the area was a small abandoned farmhouse with a shed a few kilometers down the road. I knew nothing about it. I often went walking there with my dog as it gave me something mild to explore amongst the vast nothingness that I was living around. The entire place was dilapidated and completely uninhabitable, but it was still interesting nonetheless. About a month or two after moving in, I awoke one morning to the sound of a violin. It sounded extremely distant and quite haunting. I actually enjoyed it and assumed that the neighbors opposite me had finally moved in. Excited, I finally had some people to talk to. I peeked out the curtain and saw that the house opposite mine was still as vacant as it ever was. I got dressed, but by the time I managed to look outside, the violin had stopped. This happened roughly every second day for the next week. The violin would wake me up and then just disappear after about 45 seconds. I'd ignore it to the point to where my curiosity just got the better of me, and the next morning when I did hear the violin playing again, I immediately jumped out of bed, threw on my dressing gown, and shot out the front door. I scoured the early morning surrounding area, and there, up on the hill, was a figure playing the violin. It was barely light, but the person looked very tall from the distance that I was at. And as they were playing, they were doing what could only be described as a waltz-type walk, spinning slowly around in a circle as they played. I took my eyes off of the person and walked over to pick up the morning paper, and in the ten seconds that it took me, I heard the violin stop. When I looked up, I noticed the figure was no longer playing or dancing, but was now standing still and most likely looking in my direction. We both stood still for half a minute, not moving, before the creeps got the better of me and I went back inside. After that morning, things started happening. On my walks, I began to notice footprints on the surrounding properties that were made by somebody that was not me and that I had never seen before, which I assumed were from people walking up and down from the other housing areas down the road. I never awoke to the violin, but I swore I could hear someone walking in the street next to my bedroom window in the early mornings. However, I never saw anything. I noticed random tools, such as spades and rakes lying around in the area, which I guessed were just left there by construction crews, but none of which I actually ever saw. I started getting calls at work that would immediately hang up on me. 
I stopped walking to the abandoned farmhouse as the experience with the violin player had left me a little shaken. One night, as I was heading to bed, I turned on the television in the living room, and again I could hear the faint sound of the violin playing. However, this time it sounded more muffled and rehearsed. I froze, and a cold chill flowed through me instantaneously. Considering that it was about midnight and not the usual time I'd hear it playing, I went to the front window and peeked out to see that there was a light on in the house opposite mine. It was clearly a candle as I could see the dim flicker in the empty window, and the music sounded like it was coming from from some old record player. But in the ten minutes that I watched, I never saw any movements inside the house. I moved away from the window, sufficiently freaked out, and after another five minutes, I heard the music abruptly stop. I peeked out the window to notice that the light was out now. I never saw anyone. I became unsettled in this house and would often invite friends over to hang out until very late, but of course nothing would ever happen when somebody else was there with me. I never bothered to tell any of my friends about this because without evidence, I figured they would probably give me shit about it and I'd just become more agitated. But nothing was compared to what happened next. In my living area, a desk sits next to a small window which looks out to a fence surrounding my property. The steel fence is literally at arm's length from my house and it's about six feet tall. So I always figured that unlike most of the other windows, I never had to cover this one with a sheet or a blanket because no one could ever see in. I usually had headphones on when I played games on my PC and I always had the lights off for no other reason other than I preferred to play games in the dark. One night while I was playing games, I got up and walked into the dark kitchen and got a beer out of the fridge. It was dead silent, excluding the faint sound coming from my headphones. As I closed the fridge and turned around to face the desk, I saw directly out the window two very, very faint lights. I didn't even catch on and uh, immediately started walking back to my desk, fixated on the small glowing balls, and it wasn't until I had my nose pressed up against the glass that I realized the two lights were not lights at all. They were eyes, a set of eyes just sitting above the fence line, staring wide open at me. They didn't blink, and they didn't move. My entire body locked up. All I could do was simply stare back as my brain was still comprehending that there was an actual person looking at me in the scariest way possible. I, I don't know what happened. Either my head kicked into gear or my muscles loosened, but my body automatically collapsed and fell to the floor scurrying to hide against the wall away from the window. I could hear my heart beating through the carpet like a drum as I tried to lay as flat as possible. And as my mind was still processing the sheer severity of the situation, the violin started playing. That fucking violin and the haunting tune that always emitted started up. Except this time, it was directly outside my window and much louder than I had ever heard it before. The lights were still off, and I wanted to get up and turn the PC screen off so that I couldn't be seen, but my whole body just wasn't ready to cooperate. Not only was the sound of the instrument extraordinarily loud, but it sounded like it was being played with frustration, notes being missed frequently in strings, screeching. The pace of it was getting faster and faster, and by this time my dog Jeb out in the backyard had picked up on the situation And registering an unfamiliar sound, he gave one solitary deep bark. 
The violin instantly stopped, and the house was finally dead silent, excluding the headphones, which I could hear quietly working away. I was still frozen on the carpet, and it wasn't until Jeb gave a second menacing bark that I heard the figure outside the window start to walk away in the direction of my backyard. Once that first footstep hit the ground, I instantly thought of the welfare of my best mate, and finally, my head connected with my extremities and my entire body kicked into overdrive. I left the ground and slid across the laminated floor to the back door where Jeb was standing, staring into the backyard. I ducked to keep low, quietly unlocked and slid open the door. Usually doing so would notify Jeb that he was allowed inside, but when the door opened up, he didn't move an inch. He was completely fixated on the pitch black backyard. Everything told me not to go outside, but there was no chance I was letting anything happen to my dog, and I, I moved onto the alfresco, moving Jeb behind me, but I put a hand under his collar and attempted to back him towards the house. But Jeb is a pure Labrador and weighs like a sack of sand, so when he doesn't want to move, it takes sheer force to pull him in the direction that you wanted to go, and right now Jeb wasn't going anywhere. I yanked at his scruff, and as I did, he emitted a bark like I'd never heard before, a deep, bellowing, fuck you bark that sounded very loud and elevated my nerves to an all-time high. We both just stood there, waiting for some form to reply, and I couldn't remember how long we both were froze there, but eventually I heard footsteps from around the side of the house begin to walk away. But not simply walk, almost like whoever was doing it was slowly dancing in a circle, the footsteps keeping to the beat as they drifted away from the house and off into the distance. Once I couldn't hear anything, Jeb licked his lips, gave me a look, and wandered back inside. I followed, locked the door behind me, and spent the night reverting to my childlike self, hiding under my bed covers with my dog, and I didn't sleep a wink. And that was the last time I ever saw or heard from the violin player. The following morning, when the sun finally came out, I called into work sick and then called the police. They scoured the lot next to mine, and they found footprints in the dirt. However, there were so many that it was impossible to tell whose were whose. The only description I could ever give the officer was his height. He would have to be over six feet tall to stare over that fence at me, but they explained that he could have just been standing on something or maybe on his toes. They also told me that they've never received a report of anyone playing a violin in the area or anyone being in that fenced hill either. I essentially looked like an insane person, but the officers were very nice about the whole situation and offered to patrol the area for the next few nights, which helped me to put my mind at ease. Nothing else has happened since. Over the next year or two, people finally started moving in, and I tell them the story about the figure that I saw, some of which still used to keep their children in line, which I found funny. One guy nicknamed the council lot Violin Hill, and the name has stuck around our street ever since. I even spent a period of time scouring the depths of the internet for that violin tune that I kept hearing, but I could never find it. There were a few classical pieces that seemed reminiscent, but... I've since thought that, for whatever reason, that tune must have been self-composed, which creeps me out even more. I'm still in the house. I still tell people the story, and I haven't changed my routine one bit, which has really helped me to block out the fear of the experience. 
I now play games with the blinds closed. The stories you've heard today were The Tooth Man by a Reddit user Enormous Radio, Cabin Man by Reddit user Kroger's, and then Designer Baby and Violin Hill by an anonymous Reddit user. I gotta interrupt that live recording right there, uh, simply because I used some music in the outro of the live show that I cannot have on the recording due to copyright reasons. I do not want to get this episode taken down. I hope you enjoyed that live show, and for those of you that came and drove from so far away, I greatly appreciate it. Uh, This was the first time I ever did anything like that, and I was terrified. And now that it's over, I feel empowered and excited to do it again. Hopefully I can book something in the near future. I know I did say that Season 2 would be coming back on June 9th. I don't know why I said that. I had my dates mixed up. I plan to release this live episode today on June 9th and come back uh, with Season 2 on June 16th. I have a couple little bonus things I'm going to release before then. But otherwise, I'll see you guys then. June 16th, Season 2. Let's not meet.